welcome to Rugged Theology, where we talk church planting, theology, and drink coffee. And welcome to another episode of Rugged Theology. I am, as always, your host, Adam Diamond, bald and beautiful, or at least bald is beautiful. You can ask my wife if I'm beautiful or not. Um, <laughs> Curtis is over here looking at me like, great. Uh, today in the podcast room, I have Mr. Curtis Rogers joining me. What are you at? It's been a while since you've been here, Curtis. Yeah, I know. I, I feel like I've been barred from the podcast for a while. Not sure why. (laughs) And uh, we have Mr. Stephen Dodd joining us again. Hello. Um, Salut. So boys, uh, it's been a while since I've had you guys in here. Steve Dodd, it's been a couple weeks since you've been in here. You were on our last podcast with David Drover talking about justification. Uh, So in the meantime, boys, before we get into it, how are you both doing? I'm not bad. Not bad, right? Not bad. Swell. Swell. You are, you're from definitely from town. Swell. Yes. Yep. He definitely. <laughs> is. Boy, I got her skull right here. Now she's mint. Go see, see that, that's a proper, that's a proper Newfoundland answer, right? No, there. that's just, just a Bayman. <laughs> <laughs> so me and Curtis have been at it today between the whole townie and Bayman thing. Curtis is from town. There's no trouble to tell, and I'm from the Bay, and hopefully there's no trouble to tell there as well. Uh, but today, so actually, you know. Thankfully, townies are being sanctified in Jesus Christ because yep. they need it. Um, <laughs> but that's what we're going to talk about today. We are, we've already done justification, but now we are going to move on to sanctification, uh, which is something I think New Zealanders really need to take a hold of and understand, um, especially in the sense that other, a few you know churches in the province haven't done so well at discipling. Uh, and you know they've they, they've acknowledged that, and you have also done a whole lot with sanctification and teaching on that, and what it means to the fact that because you get saved doesn't necessarily mean that you know you have to start stop smoking your cigarette the next day. Well, and similarly, it's not that you immediately lose all of your temptations to sin, and suddenly you're going to have complete victory over everything. I remember uh, a very <clears throat> bad tract I used to read where uh, they would have, the person would come to, would be, you know, like all wearing a jean jacket and, you know, doing horrible things and all, you know, horrible things from the Christian viewpoint, you know, Mm -hmm. like swearing and, you know, uh, talking about (gasps) bad things and, you know, drinking alcohol. Yes, boy. And sometimes even dancing. Oh, man. Terrible, terrible things. That's brutal. And then the moment they came to saving faith in Jesus Christ... They their hair suddenly uh, became straight, yeah, right. black, and they were wearing a suit and tie all the time, and they never swore ever again. Right? It's, it's just <laughs> unrealistic. Unreal- it's actually no, it's so realistic, right? Yeah, that is exactly that, that's nothing close to what happens to somebody <laughs> becoming a Christian. I mean, it's possible that somebody could have a miraculous conversion experience. But that's not common. Oh, it's absolutely possible. I mean, if God is all-powerful, then yes. I mean, the answer is yes, he can change you in an instant. But, yeah. He hasn't (laughs) promised to do that in every case. Right? Um, I mean, yeah, you'll come across stories of people who will be like, yeah, no, I was able to give up smoking right away or my drugs right away or uh, any addiction or a stronghold in their life. There are reports people are like once i got saved i was able to just put quit that cold turkey but there are a majority of cases where that isn't the case and 
I think we need to understand what sanctification is in order to better understand what the Christian walk looks like. Well, and I mean, it's kind of dangerous to, uh, um, I guess you guys have already discussed justification, but it's kind of difficult if you actually collapse justification with sanctification, you end up with this unrealistic expectation of what the Christian life looks like. Mm-hmm. And before long, you're, you know, believing that you, you're either believing that you're a perfect person and that God must really love you because you're just so awesome down, down deep, or at the other end, you must believe that, yeah, I guess, I, I guess I came to saving faith, but it couldn't have stuck because, you know, I still sometimes have temptations to look lustfully at a woman. Like, it, it's just an unrealistic thing, and it, it doesn't actually help the gospel anybody any way to have that kind of an understanding. A quick Google search uh, that I did earlier says that sanctification is defined as the act of making something holy. So thank you, Google. But do you agree or disagree with that statement? Sanctification is defined as the act of making something holy. Who's doing the making is sort of the question there. Well, is God that is the one that sanctifies? Well, in the case of the the Christian worldview, sanctification is actually slightly different than that. I mean, it, it would be a good expression of it, but I think that's a limited understanding of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I got a definition here from a theology textbook I was looking at earlier. Uh, sanctification is the ongoing supernatural work of God to rescue justified sinners from the disease of sin and to conform them to the image of his Son, holy, Christ-like, and empowered to do good works. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's really interesting that it says the disease of sin. Right. Um, a lot of people have a tendency for a numerous type of sins, whether it be, um, you know, alcoholism, which, which which is a disease, but, you know, you have some sort of control over it, or your drugs, or whether it be looking at pornography or gossip, or, you know, I just can't help myself. This is part of who I am, uh, when in, in essence, or even an anger problem, right? It's, it's, it's through my family. It's generational. I can't, I can't stop this. When, but if it's a disease, that means it's something to be cured. It's not a natural part of you. Right. Though, I mean, there's going to be some there's going to be some disagreement there anyway, because the fact is a disease just means it's something that's damaging to you that is, that is in you. I mean, uh, heart disease is congenital. It is something that comes from your family. Mm -hmm. It is something that, you know, can be, it is part of my genetic makeup. I am, you know, I'm like most Newfoundlanders. I have some form of history of heart disease in my family. And so it's likely that I have similar problems with heart disease that doesn't make it any less a problem because it is a disease. It is a corrupted thing in me to that leads me to not my heart not to function properly as it should. Mm-hmm. Sin does that too. I mean, it's not that sin is not merely the bad stuff that you've done, but it is partially the corrupted influence in your heart and in your life that causes you, well, to be more damaged over time than you would normally otherwise be. Yeah, the um, the idea again that we don't need to change can be a bit of a dangerous one sometimes because there are things in our humanity that feel very normal, very natural. Mm-hmm. Um, but if we believe Scripture, then we can see that they were not normal pre the fall. Yeah. Um, like uh, again, number of things, anger, like like in unrighteous anger, where you're you know wrongly anger angry at someone to the point where you hurt them, right? Right. That That's not a natural feeling. Um, greed is not natural to human beings. 
lost. It's not natural to the point where yeah. um, we seek other things outside of God. Yeah. And uh, but yet, not one of us would say we don't deal with that naturally. Right. But it doesn't mean that's natural to the human condition. Yeah, I, I'm not sure if I'd, I, I'd use the term natural as often because the simple fact is it's a bit confusing. Yeah, that's true. Because like there are a lot of things that are that are natural to me. Like, uh, well, I mean, you know, naturally, I st- uh, an object at rest tends to stay at rest unless don- uh, uh, acted upon by an outside force. <laughs> Something I live by on Saturday mornings. Mm. But that that's natural. That doesn't mean that it's good. Yeah. Natural and good are not exactly synonyms. And so I think there's going to be a difference between what is um, good and noble and part of who you are and God, who God created you to be, which is natural. And there are parts of who God created, well, who you are, who are natural to you that is actually detrimental to you and not actually what God created you to mm. be. All right, yeah, so let's get into this. So if there are things that are part of us that are not godly, um, things in our lives are not right in God's eyes, and we come to faith, and we are immediately justified because of Jesus Christ and his sacrifice on the cross and what that means for us. Um, but we continue to struggle with sin in our lives. You know, we're, like we said earlier, we're not instantly always saved or, you know, redeemed from all of the sin in our lives. We're not perfect, not in this instance. Well, I mean, to, to be exact, more exact about the words, we may be saved from the effects of the sin. We are not saved from, or not saved by from the effects. We're saved from the guilt of our sin. Mm. We're not saved from the corruption of the sin. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so where do we see in Scripture, guys, that sanctification is actually a process uh, and that, you know, you shouldn't expect to be set free from everything immediately? The one that I, I tend to like, uh, I, I, I read Romans a lot because so, Romans is my favorite book of the Bible. So uh, Romans 8, 12 and 13. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Now, uh, I think it's interesting to just take that apart a bit. It doesn't say, uh, for if you turn to Jesus and say the sinner's prayer, you will put to death the deeds of the flesh and then you'll be saved. No, you actually, by the Spirit, put to death the deeds of the flesh. There is actually... a I'd, I'd go so far as to say there is a work at work in you to be changed. I mean, God, by the Spirit, helps you to do it, but it is something that happens in your life throughout time to, to develop. I mean, that's one of them. Uh, there's a famous one that people tend to use it at uh, um, weddings, uh, Ephesians 5. Uh, Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord for the husband is the head of the wife, yada, yada, yada. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, and that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. Uh, and then it go, it go down uh, a little further. This mystery is profound at verse 32, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. So it, mm-hmm. it, the, the idea here isn't that, you know, this isn't supposed to be primarily about wives and husbands, though we tend to use it that way. It's primarily about the way that Christ operates with the church, namely that over time he washes us with the word, 
to re, to eventually present us spotless without any blemish before the throne of the heavenly glory. Uh, it's uh, you shouldn't be surprised as a Christian that you aren't perfect. Yeah, that's, that's, that's really really good stuff. I mean, I can remember the moment um, that I realized, I'll say that sanctification was a process and how it was like a big aha moment for me and my group of friends and youth group. And because uh, again, like growing up, it was expected that you came to church in your suit and your Sunday best, uh, which again, well, there's nothing wrong with offering your best to God, but when you make it a requirement for being a good Christian or what it means to be a Christian, then we have some issues. But realizing the fact that someone who is a chain smoker and whose body is literally addicted to that, unless God miraculously moves, they're not going to be able to quit that habit right away. And therefore expecting them to quit right away when they don't have the strength yet to do so, uh, is probably doing them more damage than good. Well, and I mean, not even just more damage in a physical sense, it would be more damage in a spiritual sense as well. Because you're, oh, tra- you're training them to then believe that these outward uh, actions are what saved you. Uh, I mean, that's what the entire book of Galatians is about. Don't do that. Don't assume that, you know, what was begun by faith is now carried out by works. Your salvation isn't isn't like that. So I guess that, that that's dealing with the whole expectation of instant sanctification type of thing. What about the, what about the concept or, or, or the belief now that, that God justifies you? And therefore, you can do whatever you want. Because I guess that would be the other extreme of the spectrum. I suppose. Yeah. But I'd actually say that that's just a failure to understand what it is to have saving faith. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, if I am, in fact, married to God through Jesus Christ, if I am reconciled to God in, in that way, I would generally want to act differently towards God. Yeah. And if I don't... Did I actually get married? I mean, I say, yeah. a little bit better w- way of saying would be love. Yeah. I say I love God. Hmm. Well, I- if I keep ignoring him and pretending that nothing, nothing about him is important, then I'm, I'm sorry. I, I mean, yeah, I could live as I want, but if I don't want to live in a way that would be pleasing to the person I say I love... Hmm. I think most people would have good reason to doubt my love. Yeah, Yeah. so let's look at uh, 1 Thessalonians 4. Um, it says there, starting in verse 3, For this is God's will, your sanctification, right? So this is your God's will for your sanctification, that you keep away from sexual immorality, that each of you knows how to control his own body in, his hol- in holiness and honor, not with lustful passions like the Gentiles who don't know God. This means one must not transgress against and take advantage of a brother or sister in this manner, because the Lord is an avenger of all these offenses, as we also previously told you and warned you. For God does not call us to impurity, but to live in holiness. Consequently, anyone who rejects this does not reject man, but God who gives his Holy Spirit. And Paul, again, Paul is writing to Christians here, so he's not writing to people who haven't been into a church or you know, are just mm-hmm. hearing about the gospel. He's writing to an established church here, and he's saying this is for your sanctification, right? That you need to practice these things, not yep. that it needs to be immediate. Um, all of his wording here is to say, like, guys, you need to put this into practice. This is how you need to be living your life, which means some people probably weren't living 
according right. to these things, which means like guys like step up your game a bit. Yeah. Right. Well, I mean, it's important to notice too that he didn't actually just say, uh, "You guys who aren't living according to this, your total losses, and you should go." Uh, I don't know, go suck your thumbs because you're not Christians anymore. Right. Not, he didn't say check your faith. He didn't say go back to the altar and rededicate your life. No. Um, none of these things are said. He's like, okay, you are now brothers and sisters in the faith, and God's will for your life, for your sanctification, for you to be made more holy, made more Christ-like, is that you do these things according to God's will. Right. Now, of course, there is going to be a, a thing here that you'd have to point out, too, and I, this gets back to Curtis's question. If you don't act, this, knowing that this is God's will for your life, if you don't want God's will for your life, I mean, do you believe in God? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I guess we, you said last week that justification is by grace through faith alone, but faith that truly justifies is never alone. Right. Um, I think it's James 2. 14, what what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but does not have works, can such faith save him? He's not saying that you need to have faith and works in order to be saved. He's saying, like, if if your faith is, if that's what your faith is, and it doesn't have the result of works, then it wasn't genuine saving faith to begin with. Yeah, I mean, it's like saying that I totally trust my uh, I totally trust my friends, but I'm going to make sure that there are video cameras on them at all times when they're in my house, and I'm going to make sure that you know there are uh, uh, I don't know all the doors are locked, and I'm going to have elect- electric fences placed everywhere because you know you never know when they're going to go do something wrong. Mm-hmm. That's not ac- I, I, and I say I trust them. Right, just like or like having a babysitter over, and it's like I completely trust you. But yet, there's a lock, padlock on the refrigerator or something. Or yeah, <laughs> you, you, no, no, you don't actually. <laughs> that would be a really bad babysitting gig. So, guys, sanctification is obviously a process. It's, it's, it's we see that God doesn't expect us. The apostles don't expect us to be perfect right at the moment of our salvation. Mm-hmm. It's worked out through us um, with fear and trembling. We work out our salvation, right? Uh, so. Why is it important that we need to be made holy? A lot of things that you see, uh, I've seen over the years, is that, you know, you are loved unconditionally. You be you, right? Come as you are, uh, kind of stating that you come as you are, but nothing needs to change. You're, You're perfect the way you are, but then I kind of wonder why you have a need for God. Uh, but so why do we need to be holy if God loves us how we are? Yeah, that's uh, that's interesting. I know. Um, um, a while ago at, at men's group, I think Steve Steve Bray used the analogy of marriage between a husband and a wife, and um, and a bond that was really tight. That whatever um, he said, you know, the husband could have done anything, and the wife would have um, taken him back. Like their their bond was that close. They loved each other. Their marriage was that strong. Um, does that now give the husband justification to go cheat on his wife because he knows that she'll forgive him anyway? Um, and putting it in that way was like, and back to uh, your point, Steve, like if we truly do love God, um, why would we do things that that we know <laughs> hurt him um, and, and things like that? Wouldn't it, because it seems to me that genuine saving faith sanctification is is the direct result of that. 
Uh, if it's not, there's probably an issue with yeah. what what you think that genuine saving faith is. Well, and, and the truth is, there's another issue that's going on here too. Because if you truly love God, you want to be with them. Yeah, right? exactly. God is holy, and if you're not, I mean, there's going to be a separation there. Yeah, if you understand what you know, the sacrifice on the cross that Jesus did for you, and you're overwhelmed with the fact that you are a sinner in need of grace and in need of saving, well, you need saving, which means there's something wrong with you. Right. Um, and that's that's coming to a terms with the fact that you're not a perfect human being the way you are. All, well, all of us, not one person that's come to Jesus has not, not been changed. Well, I'm going to actually go further and say that Every human, everywhere right now, if you're not dead, is changing. Mm-hmm. That's the way it works. Yeah, I'm, I'm not the same I was when I was 10 years old. You're not the same that you were with the 10 minutes ago when you came into the room. I don't have the same belief. Well, okay, I have the same beliefs as I did 10 minutes ago, but even like, let's say five years ago, my beliefs had changed, and that's, right. you know, molded me as a person as well. I mean, Curtis, you, you come from our denomination as well. Yeah, yeah. There's uh, that, that's the, that's the misconception. You, you can't. You don't just stay static in your relationship with God. You're either you're either moving closer to Him or you're moving further from Him. Um, you know, I guess the old Puritan saying, "Be killing sin, or sin will be killing you." That there's no neutral zone. Yeah. So to speak. And of course, that's that's not to say that you know, like, you don't you have to be worried too deeply about whether or not you're actually doing enough to be with God, but it's a question of whether or not you actually desire God. I mean, if, yes, God can and does love people where they are. He loves sinners where they are. He sent his son to die for them in the midst of where they are. But to be honest, if he leaves them in their sin and he leaves them in their isolation from him, that's not actually love. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, let's look at Scripture for this, Romans 6. What should we say then? Should we continue in sin so that grace may multiply? Absolutely not. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Or are you unaware that all of us who were baptized into Christ, Jesus were baptized into his death? So Paul, Paul you know, <laughs> anticipates this and is like, yeah. you know, where there's so much grace and there's forgiveness and that's a beautiful thing, but does that give us a license to keep sinning? No. Yeah, yeah I mean, normally if, you, if, if your thinking goes that way, uh, really you don't want salvation from your sin, you just want salvation from the punishment and the consequences of your sin, mm-hmm. exactly. a.k.a. hell, which means that you don't actually love God, you, you, you love yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And here's another one for being transformed, right? You go to Romans 6.6, 6. for we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be rendered powerless so that we may no longer be enslaved to sin since a person who has died is free from sin. Right. Our old self, right? So obviously there's a new self. And it's it, there needs to be a transformation. Well, and, and again, there is going to be one in some way or shape or form. The fact is, as we embrace sin, we gain, uh, we gain more love for the sin. That's the way it works. It's easier to fall into uh, the, I don't know, uh, more, uh, I don't know, I mean, alcoholism, we'd have a good example. Mm-hmm. If, if you drink more alcohol as an alcoholic, you will actually find it easier to to fall into to fall prey to that particular sin yeah. again later. That's just the way it is. If I give vent to my anger every time I am angry, I never learn to control my anger, 
which will mean that I am going to do some pretty horrible things when I'm angry. Mm-hmm. So, guys, what do we do for people? You know, we, we've made, I think we made a good case that there has to be transformation when you come to Jesus. Um, that transformation is a process you learn and you grow. But what about people who are in doubt of that? You know, they keep struggling with sin. They can't seem to kick it. Um, they seem to fail and fall again and again and again. Uh, is there anything that we can say to people who are struggling with this? Um, first thing, uh, let's just be wary of not thinking that we're saved by faith, but sanctified by works. Um, sanctification is also an act of grace. Amen. Um, and actually, I think Dane Ortland put, puts it pretty well in, in his book, Deeper. Um, he actually spoke at my um, seminary and, and put off these four types of points, like these four views that people commonly have of sanctification. Three of them are wrong, but very common, and only one of them is, is, is biblical. Um, but one is like, God, then me, a.k.a., you know, God saves me, but then I have to work my way always to sanctify myself. You know, the second one is God, not me, a.k.a., um, God does everything, and I just sit back, and I don't care, I do nothing. It's, you know, let go and let God type of thing. And the other one is God plus me, like God does 50%, and then I do 50%. But all three of those, though common, are, are incorrect, are unbiblical views of sanctification, but the actual biblical view is is God in me. So, I mean, if you look at, like, 1 Corinthians 15.10, for example, um, that says, But by the grace of God I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. And uh, you, you can look at um, Colossians 1.29 as well, which says, as I get to it, I labor for this, striving with his strength that works powerfully in me. So the whole concept is that, yes, you, you toil, you work, um, but, it's, but it's not you working, it's the grace of God that's in you. So I just want to want to clarify that to make sure that we don't feel the burden of just another works-based religion when, when, we, when we're trying to believe in, <laughs> in salvation by grace through faith. Sanctification is by grace as well. It's God that strengthens every aspect of that. Well, I mean, that's going to be a really good one. I mean, one of the most common verses for this would be like Philippians chapter 2, verse yeah. 12 and 13. Yeah. Therefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, so now, not always, not all, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, i.e., your salvation is there, work it out with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Yeah. So, I mean, it's not so much a misunderstanding of the nature of justification and sanctification as to as not really having uh, the kind of justification if you don't want to be sanctified. Yeah. I, I mean, I would go so far as to say that, you know, if, if you find yourself not wanting to be sanctified at all, I wonder about your, I wonder about your justification too. Yeah. But if you are in fact justified and you are struggling with the sin, whether or not you have to get uh, you get knocked over with your sin a thousand times a day, mm-hmm. will get up a thousand and one. I, I like in um, was it Dane Orton that wrote Gentle and Lonely? Yeah, 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 yeah. So in his book, um, he says, you know, the very fact that you're broken, that you are sinful, is what qualifies you to go to Jesus yeah, and be forgiven. 
if you were perfect, you don't need Jesus. You don't need God. But we are broken. And there is something about acknowledging the fact that, like, yeah, there is something about me that needs to be fixed. Right? Like, I, I don't, I am not all there is to, to offer to everyone. Right? I'm not God's great gift to people. Nor are you, in fact, the perfect Adam Diamond yet. But mm. by God's grace, you will be. Yeah, my wife would agree with you there. Uh, but guys so in romans 7 so this goes along as well so again you can if you're struggling with your sanctification if you're struggling with where you are with god just be reminded that you can go to him like we said again and again and again god's not just like face palming or like sighing or gasping every time you mess up right he's not caught off guard by things he knows what your life is like but he also knows what the end result is for you because that's how he sees you as fully justified in Jesus Christ, if you believe. But in Romans 7, Paul even says, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, flesh, sold as a slave under sin. For I do not understand what I am doing, because I do not practice what I want to do, but I do what I hate. Now, if I do what I do want to, do not want to do, I agree with the, that the law is good. So now I am no longer the one doing it, but it is sin living in me. So Paul, Paul goes on, but he goes on to say, like, right, guys, like, I'm doing what I don't want to do, right? right? Yeah. I'm at war with that flesh inside me, with the sinful nature inside me. It hasn't been fully put to death yet. Exactly. I mean, that's the end result. Jesus has already won the war, but the battle is still raging as we live our lives. Yeah. And that's the process, that you keep going, you keep waging that war, knowing the end result, but you're still in that battle waging war against your fleshly fleshly desires, your sinful nature, um, and allowing God to be at work in your life through his Holy Spirit. Yeah. Right. Now, are there some practical things we can, we can point people to? Because, I mean, obviously we'd say, you know, read your Bible, pray every day, and you'll grow, grow, grow type of thing. Um, <laughs> and that's helpful, too, as long as we don't treat it like a, like a legalistic checklist. Um, I'd say one thing, because um, one thing that I think was a, a big breakthrough for me and some of my temptations um, was accountability. Mm. Um, so, so if you're if you're struggling with um, and, and you're just trying to to sort of white knuckle your sin mm. and saying, you know, I'm praying every day, I'm reading my Bible every day, but but this whole concept of you know being honest and confessing my sin to somebody else, like I I don't want to do that because you know, that exposes me. That means I have to you know reveal you know my you know deeper temptations and things like that. That's actually one of the biblical ways that that it, you can. That you can fight sin, that you mm-hmm. actually um, that the the devil loses some of some of his power, yeah. um, because you know, that that le- that level of accountability, knowing that somebody else is praying for you, and just getting it off your chest, the mere act of telling somebody else, all of a sudden, like the the the, the strength of temptation uh, seems to subside more considerably when you meet with someone on a regular basis. You know, yeah. so I'd say you know if you're if you're a dude. Um, you know, meet up with a mature Christian man um, on a regular basis, and, and I, I think you'll find that being accountable, and the same thing with uh, with uh, women, but I, th- I think you'll find that just being accountable um, will be a massive step forward in terms of putting yeah. to death residual sin. And and, and I, I mean, I don't want to be minimal about the, you know, read, read the Bible and pray every day and you'll grow, grow, grow. Yeah, exactly. Because the fact is... Okay, reading the Bible, and I don't mean just reading the Bible as in, like you say, the checklist thing. I mean reading the Bible, trying to understand what mm-hmm. it says and apply it to your life, that actually is one of the ways that God does sanctification in our lives. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, and, you know, just to give you an example, at First uh, John 1 uh, from verse 8, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we have, say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Um, so, I mean, the admission of your sin is actually, I mean, to go with Dane Ortland there, is it's a prerequisite to your salvation. Mm-hmm. But or, it's not just, you know, confess, uh, confessing your sins in a perfunctory way. It's actually talking to God and saying, I've messed up, please help me. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, the reason I laughed earlier, I had a youth pastor, and he was very short. And I went up to him was once, and I was like, you didn't read your Bible or pray very much when you were little, did you? <laughs> so when, when you said that, Curtis, it brought that back to mind. Uh, if, you, if you're listening to this, which I, I, I don't think he will be, but uh, yeah, I still stand by that. I think that's hilarious. Um, <laughs> but remind yourself daily about who you are in Christ and that it is Jesus is the one who justifies you, which means that no other charge brought against you will win. Right. He is the one with ultimate authority. And so if he is if he is sanctifying you through his Holy Spirit, he's not caught off guard. He's not trying to make a guess of when you'll sin or when you screw up. He knows all of this, and he's not only knows it, he's paid for all of it already. Yep. I mean, think of where you are now, also in the room. I mean, it's taken God almost 33 years to get me to where I am to now. Mm-hmm. Right, not that he can't change me instantly, but it's better for me to understand what it means to grow and develop, and you know, be more Christ-like as a daily journey than it is to be instantly, right? No pain, no gain. <laughs> yeah, it, the only way you learn reliance on Christ is by relying on Christ, and over long periods of time, right? And we, but we also, on a daily basis, we understand the beauty and the mystery, um, and just how great the gospel is. And what it means for us that we can go to him again and again and again. Anyways, guys, that's a great conversation on sanctification. Um, thank you for your time. Thank you. Yep. <laughs> All right, boys. You're right, welcome boys. back anytime, boys. All right, guys. Um, catch us next week. Um, yeah, thanks for listening, and we'll see you again. You've been listening to Rugged Theology. Rugged Theology is brought to you by Mile One Mission. If you want to know more about Mile One Mission and our work in Newfoundland and Labrador, visit www.mileonemission.ca.